0: go oh, he just can't do it! You just cannot be that good! That is an
1: amazing goal! I think he scored a goal every time he's had a shot. Hello guys and welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a whole host of topics from both leagues to talk about today. And Joining me, as always, is the Chris Sutton to my Alan Shearer, Lewis.
0: That's right, guys. We are going to look at both leagues today. Starting off with our action in the Bundesliga, we've got Leverkusen v. Freiburg as well as Gladbach v. Leipzig. Then we move over to the UK and we'll have a look at Southampton v. Aston Villa as well as the big match of the weekend, or at least what was promised to be the big match, Manchester United v Arsenal. And then, of course, from us both this week, a nice little round of, do you know what really grinds my gears? But let's get straight into it. Should we just start with uh, Bundesliga first? It makes for a nice little We'll make sure, off, we'll start Bundesliga. Exactly. We had a lot of games this uh, season already that have gone, you know, with maximum score lines. So, keeping in touch with this theme, Leverkusen 4, Freiburg 2, it wasn't really, you know, what everyone expected it to be. Because, you know, everyone had Leverkusen down, at least on paper, to win that match. Just because, you know, they are the better team. (laughs) They're they're Europa League contenders. Um, Freiburg are always that mid-level club. And even though Freiburg was at home, without their fans, Freiburg are a very different team. Um, they definitely are one of those teams that live off you know, the atmosphere in the stadium.
1: This is going to sound really harsh, but after watching that game, I can understand and people will understand why they're 13th in the league.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, three goals of Leverkusen's four down to the same Freiburg defender. I mean, Hufla just had a terrible day i mean it wasn't it wasn't just it wasn't just a bad day at the office it was a as total wolf would have said in netflix's drive to survive series it was a shit day at the office but you know it's he's just had a nightmare hasn't he because
1: he's, he's had a shocker and lucas Solario will be thinking they're absolutely they're great passes any of the leverkusen players would be absolutely buzzing with an assist like that
0: yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're Kevin De Bruyne esque passes because they go straight between the lines, between defenders, and right into the run. But, you know, as a fullback or a center back, those passes are so dire. <laughs> you just don't want to be the, you don't want to be anyone on that team who's making that pass, especially going backwards. Like, come on, man. I mean, a couple episodes ago, we were criticizing the fact that some people were not putting enough power on the back passes, Kurtzuma. Um, but you know, it's there's not putting enough power on the back pass, and then there's just zero accuracy with your back passes. I mean, three goals, man. Three goals are you know you could you could definitely put down to being Hufla's mistake. I think it's safe to say he won't be starting for Freiburg next week.
1: I, yeah, it's difficult to see. He's cost them three goals there. But I think the best of the bunch has to be Amiri's oh, curler from outside the box. I mean, again,
0: not cleared properly by Hofler, but then Amiri, to do what he did with the ball, just goes to show us why he's you know he's earned himself a place in... Germany's national team squad and he played really well for the under-21s. He's definitely a talented player.
1: Yeah, and after that game, alario has got five goals in the league. Same as uh, your boy, Erling Haaland. So, Leverkusen look like they've got a competent, decent striker up front, which, in my opinion, they've not had since Stefan Kiesling left.
0: That's up. A- Big shout, you know.
1: Because I don't <laughs> rate Kevin Voland at all.
0: He's gone to Monaco, but I think you'll be hard-pressed to find someone saying that they didn't lose some quality up front when he left. Because also, it's,
1: Yeah, you'll lose some quality, but I don't think he was as good as people made him out to be.
0: I think he was better at Hoffenheim. At Hoffenheim, he was, you know, he had the sort of hype around him that Andrey Kramaric has. Obviously, he never really achieved the form that Kramaric had at the beginning of the season. But he still, at the beginning, um, or at least during his Hoffenheim years, was definitely one of the more lethal strikers in the Bundesliga. And everyone was saying they, they're, it's just a matter of time until he moves to, some, to a bigger club. And then at Leverkusen, it was kind of, eh, you know, he was average. Which is why I was surprised that he, you know, managed to get himself a move to Monaco. Because, I mean, in my opinion, Monaco, they, they definitely need a revitalizing, striking force after Mbappe left.
1: Well, he doesn't play much for Monaco. Monaco aren't anything special at the moment. But they've got Vishim Ben Yedda. But I think kinda... the only <laughs> reason that Volan's gone there is probably because Nico Kovac is their coach.
0: Yeah, so it's like a familiar Bundesliga face. It's like,
1: okay, I've seen what he can do when he was at Hoffenheim at his peak.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or get
1: him on a relatively cheap deal.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: It's just a different option to have. But I I think Lucas Solario, is that something different maybe that Leverkusen have been looking to maybe push them back towards that Champions League place?
0: Yeah, they've been kind of ghosting around the Europa League a little bit, almost dropping out of the European places completely over the last couple of years. Um, you know, with the re- I think it coincided with Leipzig becoming that third or fourth force to be reckoned with at the top of the table. So,
1: well, funny you mention RB Leipzig.
0: Oh, it's a seamless transition, isn't it?
1: Because They were, let's be honest, crap midweek against United in the Champions League. You definitely shook them. (laughs) 5-0 definitely shook them. They didn't land on their feet, did they, against Gladbach? Here's the thing. On paper,
0: I agree with you because, you know, a 1-0 loss says it all. But if you look at the replays of that match and the highlights as well, given the extended ones you'll still see that it was a relatively back and forth match with leipzig even having maybe a slight advantage in terms of how many chances they created but the fact that you know united shook them still holds true because leipzig just can't seem to score i mean the chances they had and they you know they they didn't take especially coming from from players like zabitza who who people expect to score especially when he gets you know the shots off that he did and he, he very very nearly just almost clipping the outside of the post missed uh missed an equalizer in I think it was the 80th minute and Jan Zoma wouldn't have been able to do anything about it but I think it just goes to show that you know the midweek match still kind of was in the back of their heads and um they may have been overthinking some some chances.
1: Well, here's, here's something for you. They had 15 shots in total, three on target, but they created no clear-cut chances. Whereas Gladbach had five shots. Same, again, three on target, but they had that one clear-cut chance, which was the goal from Wolf.
0: Interestingly enough, Hannes Wolf is on loan to Gladbach from RB Leipzig. <laughs> oh,
1: I didn't know so, that
0: that was that was the the anecdote of the night,
1: <laughs> oh, can you imagine I mean fair play for letting him play like most teams go no, we don't
0: we don't allow that
1: playing against against us
0: I mean he also goes on to celebrate it properly, good which lad. is yeah exactly good, good boy,
1: <laughs> I've got the utmost respect for that,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez, but yeah. Uh, I mean, it also extinguished uh, Leipzig's lead of the Bundesliga. and They were top of the table. But seeing as Bayern managed to scrape a 2-1 win against Köln and Dortmund also managed to scrape a 2-0 win against uh, Bielefeld, Leipzig dropped to
1: third. So it's not... They're in in a period. They've had that weird... Because it was a weird start to the season. That's now sort of started to settle. Yeah, and they are missing Timo Werner like any team would. And I, I, said it in the European edition. Yeah, i I don't rate them up front at all. I'm going to I'm going to
0: refute that not in my own opinion, but just statistically, because statistically, Leipzig have the third best attack going forward so far this season. In their first season without Timo Vanna. they had the second best attack going forward before last uh, or this past match day.
1: Yeah, but who have they really played? A Gladbach, the biggest team they've played this season.
0: Leverkusen, they already had. Given that was also a one-all draw.
1: Just see what, just do, do see what I mean. Like, yeah, against teams like um, Schalke, Schalke or, you know, relegation Wolfsburg. candidates. Yeah, yeah Yusuf Paulson and. Alexander Sorloff are going to put goals away. But Alexander Sorloff wasn't good enough for Crystal Palace.
0: Yeah, it's a point.
1: Not good enough for RB Leipzig. And Yusuf Paulson is just some glorified donkey. I
0: mean, it's also funny you talk about Yusuf uh, Paulson because you, I think, criticized for going down, for him going down every time Harry Maguire breathed on him. If I have my quotations, Exact. He definitely did more of the same this uh, this past match day because there was a situation where I think it was Ginta or um, one of the Gladbach centre-backs um, went up uh, or went up for an aerial challenge against him. And before he w- even goes up, he, the Gladbach defender slightly touches him and he goes down inside the box. So I definitely see what you mean
1: by him flopping a little bit he he might fool a couple referees with it but it's going to end up working against leipzig because there'll be a, there'll be a time yeah. where it isn't a dive he doesn't go down to his genuine foul and a penalty and the referees are just going to go well <laughs> you've got previous i mean yeah there's var but as we know var isn't perfect
0: It's better in Germany than it is in the UK, I'll tell you that much.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but there's still going to be that thing, well, okay, yeah, he goes down. It looks a bit theatrical. Maybe we should just stick with the on-field decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of his reputation, because of the previous of going down when no one touches him.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I mean, last season, he also wasn't a regular starter. He was more of the backup for Timo Vanna, you know, the one you bring in when you need some more aerial presence towards the end of the match because obviously Timo Vanna and, you know, aerial presence aren't two terms that you have in the same sentence usually. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a bit hard one. They We all know, or we all knew at the beginning of the season that Leipzig were definitely going to struggle to compensate Vanna leaving. And I still think, you know, with their 12 goals that they've scored so far in six matches, they've done relatively well. Because, I mean... You have to just appreciate the fact, you know, the only team that scored more in six matches is Dortmund and they have 13 goals. And then Bayern, who amazingly, in six matches have scored 24 goals. So they're averaging about a 4-0 every game. Or at least four goals scored every game.
1: But that's, that's the thing. Like They come up against teams that are, have got a relative backbone to them, that are relatively solid, and they, they either don't score or draw with them.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just
1: wait for them to play Dortmund, wait for them to play Bayern, wait for the uh, home game against United. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a similar scoreline there in all three of those games.
0: I think it still remains to be seen because Leipzig definitely frustrated Bayern, at least for instance, in the last couple of seasons, holding them to draws. But then again, also there have been, you know, a few draws and then blowouts. I think Bayern is an unrealistic comparison for or at least a team, that is a bad comparison to be making if you want to see where Leipzig are at because Bayern are just, there's there's no way around it. They just are the best team in the world. And for any team who come up against them to be saying, you know, I think we need to be there if it's not, you know, one of the European heavyweights, I think it's a bit far-fetched. But when it comes to the comparison with Dortmund, that's where Leipzig definitely have to be at the races and they have to be showing that, you know, we are another candidate challenged by and for the title as, you know, we've actually made this mission out to be. Because I think that, that's one of, the thing that, that I, one of the things that I love about Leipzig is that they're the only team in Germany who have actually had the balls to say ahead of, ahead of any Bundesliga season, we're going to try and challenge for the title this year. We're not just going to try and sit back and try and take second or third place. We're going to actually challenge.
1: I respect for that, but it doesn't. It's not going to change my personal perception of that team.
0: They're yeah, a good team okay. with
1: a good coach, but they're not a great team.
0: Yeah, they still. I mean, we, we're still forgetting this is their this is their third season in the Bundesliga. Sorry, fourth.
1: You know, they were founded in the late two thousands. Two
0: thousand and nine. Yeah
1: but they're, i mean are only 11 years old
0: and when we're talking about yusuf paulson we're forgetting that this is also a striker who has gone up from the third bundesliga to the second to the first all with leipzig i mean this guy has gone through three different levels of professional football and now he's at the champions league level you know he's at the top level of european football i still think that amounts to the respect that amounts to a certain amount of respect when When talking about him. But then at the end of the day, you are also correct in saying, you know, with Leipzig's ambitions, is he the proper striker to have?
1: No. It would be my opinion, but...
0: I can definitely see why.
1: Not every window are you going to go out and find another Timo Werner.
0: I think that's enough, Bundesliga, for this episode, though. Let's have a look at the Premier League, where... The Premier League also had a nice seven-goal battle with Southampton versus Aston Villa.
1: Yeah, it was it was a good game and frustratingly more than anything it was a pay-per-view game on Sky Box Office.
0: That that really does I think is concerning for football fans as well, but it is also a pain in the butt because I mean, no one's going to start spending £15 pound just to see one single match when, you know, under normal circumstances, you can get a ticket for £15. Pound.
1: I, the, the Premier League already has, and we'll talk about the game in a minute, but the Premier League already has a big issue with illegal streaming. Countries, yeah. in, countries in the Middle East doing it and broadcasting it on TV aside, they already have a big issue with people streaming it. Mainly the three o'clock kickoffs on a Saturday because even though it's a English domestic league, we don't show them, which baffles me.
0: Yeah, but um,
1: with this you'll see a rise in the use of websites like Total Sportec
0: or LiveTV.SX
1: or ArangGoals.com.
0: If you can't already tell, we're also one of the people who love to stream the three o'clock kickoff
1: <laughs> oh yeah i've done it i've done it this season when united were, high, were behind pay-per-view i streamed our gaming against newcastle
0: yeah i don't have my da i don't have a da subscription so i'm also watching the premier league uh matches on streaming sites uh, so long as they're not you know on sky germany on sunday
1: nights but let's talk aston villa southampton so 4-3 i think is a bit of a misleading. it's almost like a it's almost like a false misleading scoreline
0: yeah because everyone expects it's like oh it was a back and forth game wasn't it
1: and then you look at when aston villa scored two of their goals in the 93rd and the 97th minute but we'll get to those so you've got experience with the big lanky centre half <laughs> I don't know any Southampton fan that's a massive fan of his ability to defend.
0: They'll be a massive fan of his aerial ability to attack, though.
1: Well, it's his second goal this season. He got one against Chelsea, and he got the equaliser against Chelsea in the 3-0 draw.
0: Or you said the big man gets down well for a header.
1: A great touch for a big man.
0: And I mean, he was also, again, lethal in the air... To and open the scoring. No one seems to be able to defend the guy. I mean, it's hard when he's six foot six, and I think Aston Villa's tallest player is Tyrone Mings at six foot four.
1: Well, that's the thing. He's six six, and he's got a sizable leap on him, which tall players don't tend to have.
0: Yeah, because they don't feel they need to, because their height already compensates for it.
1: But he can he can easily put himself a f- nearly a foot above other players.
0: Yeah, it is scary, isn't it?
1: But I was a great header. I would take nothing away from that. But Ward Prowse, yeah, the ones mm-hmm. I really want to talk about—the birthday boy,
0: James Ward Prowse—take a bow, son.
1: <laughs> Two absolute perlers.
0: I mean, they just—they're they, also both of them. I think you can already class as class as postage stamp. Because they do curl in beautifully into the upper ninety.
1: Um, Emmy Martinez, I mean, he, he he went for the first one. I wouldn't have bothered, <laughs> and he, he didn't bother with the second one.
0: <laughs> I think, understandably, so.
1: It's like like people know how good Ward Prowse is from a dead ball situation. It's his thing. Yeah, you talk to any Southampton fan, like I got mates as a Saints fan. You talk to any of those, and it's. Oh, he's one of the best dead ball specialists in the Premier League.
0: That's a big shout as well, seeing as you've got the likes of Kevin De Bruyne in there as well.
1: Yeah, but it's hard to argue, though, because Ward-Prowse, he oh, does definitely. put free kicks, he puts a mean corner in as well.
0: I mean, if if there was any evidence needed, you just have to watch that match. Two free kick goals in one match. There are some some players... Who don't score two free kick goals in a whole season, and this guy does it in one game. Well,
1: that's the thing. Like people, people going about Bruno Fernandez from a dead ball. Like he's got, he scored one free kick for us against Bournemouth, and Ward Price has done two screamers in a game. Yeah, talking of screamers, Danny Ings keeps <sighs> going. Severely
0: underrated for my taste.
1: I'll hold my hands up. I said at the start of the season, oh well, he was too good last year. He's probably going to get about five goals this season. I, I think he's matched he that already. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the five have- goals already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, keep producing curlers like that, and I think it's, it's. I think Aston Villa must be thinking, what the actual hell was going on in that game because they've conceded three of their four goals were just. You know, you you don't even put a keeper in for those, you, because the keeper's just going to stand and watch it hit the top ninety as well. It's just, it's not even fair.
1: But I I talk about Emmy Martinez not bothering to go for Ward Prowse's second free kick. He might as well have just stood there for Danny, Danny Ings, Ings. Yeah. As well. <laughs>
0: yeah. Speaking but, of goalkeepers not moving towards the ball. Can we talk about Alex McCarthy just switching off before the ball's even crossed the line on Jack Grealish's goal for the 4-3?
1: Yeah, this is... I I know that your reaction was a bit um, angry or more confused angry. Disappointed
0: as well, I'll add in there to make the trifecta.
1: I'm not (laughs) angry, Alex. I'm just disappointed. Disappointed.
0: Oh, it's... Yeah, but it's... The thing that gets me is If he had stood there and the shot had just gone past him, because in all fairness to him, I think he was definitely expecting that shot to be whipped far post and not near post. But then this is already where where my criticism starts kicking in because, one, he was already speculating so much it was going near post that he had already made that one step over, which definitely freed up the near post. For Jack Grealish to shoot at, because if we're being honest, Jack Grealish's shot didn't have a ton of power on it. It was a decent shot, but it wasn't, you know, unsavable. So first off his first off is positioning. Don't know about that one. And the second one, and this is the real kicker. He already switches off and you see his head move like just duck away from the shot or for away from the direction of the shot, you know, when players bow their head after they've gotten scored on, they're just, you know, it's at that moment, you're just like, ah, crap, conceded. He's already done that. And his whole body language slackens as if the ball's already gone in the net. And it all, and his whole body does this before the ball has gone across the line. That to me is just poor mental play because he doesn't, he doesn't follow through,
1: he doesn't try until the very last second to keep that ball out, so you're more annoyed with the fact he's given up and is almost he looks crestfallen before the ball's gone in yeah you wouldn't have as much of an issue with it had he tried to get to the ball
0: yeah if you'd if he had a, I mean, preferably he had dived toward the ball. But, you know, even if he speculates and he makes that one step, okay, we can criticize that. But then, you know, he, he just, and he just watches the ball fly in. Okay, fair enough. But it's the fact that he switches off before the ball is crossed the line. That's what gets me. Because the one thing that you're taught as a goalkeeper as well is that even if you don't think you're going to get to the shot, always try to get there because maybe it takes a deflection and it takes a lucky deflection where you're more in range of getting to it and you can make the save and react. Um, And at the very least, every manager and everyone who's watching the match can see that goalkeeper is trying to get there. And even if he knows he's beaten, he's still trying to get there with all his might because that is his main job and that's what he's there for.
1: Okay, you can breathe now.
0: Yeah, I was about to say I should have I should have included that in
1: our in our in the ranting part of this podcast. <laughs> but Grealish scored, but he was also part of everything that was good for Villa in that final third of the game. So Much it was like his, last season. <laughs> well, he is their talisman. Like he was, he put the cross in, great cross for Tyrone Mings' goal. Oh yeah, for Tyrone Mings' header, and it was him who was fouled by Diallo.
0: That was a very, very sloppy challenge as well.
1: And I've got no idea what he's doing. He just sticks his leg up and almost...
0: It's on, it's on really, hip height.
1: Yeah, he almost kicks him in the stomach. That's what I don't get. Who
0: makes a challenge at hip height with their foot? Apparently Diallo. Uh, do you know what? I never rated him when he was at Dortmund. I didn't know why they were bothering with a, with a center back like him when they had aspirations you know to get far in the champions league and i think them letting him go there's just more evidence with that foul as to why they let him go
1: well they had to bring in, They brought him on uh, because Ryan Bertram went off and then like 15 minutes later you do that <laughs> needless to say i don't think we'll be seeing dialo uh start in the starting game 11. for southampton for some time
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Though so, arguably the most entertaining game of the weekend stuck behind a paywall. Before we move on to United Arsenal, some live football while we're recording this. Union Berlin have beaten Hoffenheim 3 1.
0: There's a lot of goals that happened between the 68th minute and now.
1: Well, we had a 60 minute penalty from Max Cruz.
0: Oh, Kruza, what a guy.
1: Uh, then Dabur equalized.
0: Do you know what? Dabur is actually a very, very underrated striker as well. Because I, the way, he, what he did against Bayern, unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Then it was... Oh, hello. Pujan Palo?
0: Yeah, Pujan Palo. It's a, it's a and, hard one.
1: There we go. Pujan Palo in 85. And then... Teichard. Teichard.
0: That's the one. Yeah, Cedric, Cedric Teichert.
1: So a good three points for Union Berlin. Do
0: you know what? Everyone was saying they were going to go down.
1: They're sitting seventh in the table.
0: Yeah. And I mean, last season they made it to 11th. And That's... jointly, together with Stuttgart and... No, just, just with Stuttgart, they are the fourth best attack going forward with 11 goals scored in six games.
1: And everyone had written them off. It's amazing what, you know, you get a bit of confidence in your players. It's amazing what you can do. And we'll now go back to, again, another absolute snooze fest involving (laughs) my first love.
0: Oh, God. Do you know what, though? I wouldn't class it as much of a snooze fest as... um chelsea v united
1: oh no there was a goal in this one
0: (laughs) yeah okay but aside from the goal i felt that there was a very good back and forth between both teams in terms of chances there were there were definitely chances on both sides both teams not very good at using them which you know is the one issue and then we also have the issue of paul pogba and his inconsistent performances
1: I mean, is that, is, is that really a shock anymore? Yeah, but every time I
0: see him produce a charging run like he did against Leipzig for, I think, you guys' third goal.
1: No, that was the first goal.
0: Oh, the first one. Sorry. But uh, do you know what I mean? You know, he, he produces these one-off performances where everyone thinks, oh, there it is, the old Pogba. And then he just goes in the next match week Commits a foul like that, and it's just oh, it's just such a sloppy,
1: clumsy challenge. You just yeah. wouldn't expect it. Do you know what? I'm I'm not as seething with him as I was back in the last season when he he pu- essentially punched the ball away and then claimed <laughs> it hit him in the face. I was like, <laughs> oh, against West Ham, I'm Whoa, not as seething man. as that. It's just a lazy tackle. It's the sort of thing I do. Sunday, it's just a lunge. He, Hector Bellerin is—he's running to to the byline.
0: Yeah, he's not going anywhere.
1: It's not like he's through on goal. You don't need to make that. the minute he do, the minute he went and dived in at that tackle, I was like, "This penalty." And <laughs> there was some absolute golden bits of commentary from Martin Tyler and Gary Neville. Two, oh,
0: the United fanboys. <laughs> my two
1: personal favorites were seconds after Paul Pogba hoofs the ball down the channel to no one and out for a goal kick. And Martin Tyler comes over. Do we expect too much of Paul Pogba? It's like, oh, I'd <laughs> like to think he could pass the ball to one of his own players. And then how, Bruno Fernandes got taken off. And Paul Pogba stayed on the pitch. And my mind slowly started to melt <laughs> as I was watching Paul Pogba play left wing in a four-three three. Fun times. Gary Neville comes out comes over the comms and is like, Well, maybe this is a new position. Maybe Paul Pogba can play left wing in a four-three three. It's like no, no. Shut up. Oh Jesus Christ
0: Gary, just take off the United fan goggles, honestly. No, that is not a left winger. Paul Pogba cannot sprint to save his freaking
1: life. I mean, at this point, Paul Pogba is barely a footballer.
0: I think that's a bit harsh because if we're being honest, he's still a better midfielder than 95% of what the Premier League has to offer. But, it yeah, is but he the doesn't fact- show it. Yeah, but here's this is what I'm saying. Is, is He doesn't show it, true. And we're also holding him to the standard of what we saw him do at Juve. And that is all completely legitimate because you think you'd think that after you know with with a price tag of 105 million and the performances he did put in for Juventus that he would produce more of the same at United. And from my eyes he's he's shown you know glimpses of it, but he's never done it consistency consistently for a season.
1: No, I can count on one hand good Paul Pogba performances. Would, would Manchester you like me, derby. Would you, yeah, because would you like me to count those performances out on one hand?
0: Oh, please do. I've already named one of them.
1: Yeah, so the Manchester derby when we were 2-0 down at halftime and he scores two goals in like... We watched that game. Yeah. I was dicking about doing something else because I was seething. I was just like, I can't <laughs> listen to the half time analysis. I can't. I flick back on, and it's, "Oh my God, it's too old. What have, I, what have I done? What have I missed? I was
0: pissed off because you did you had flicked off the channel.
1: <laughs> Sorry. So the Manchester Derby, there was a four nil against Leicester, where he played really well. The game against Leipzig. See, I'm struggling to remember them. Oh, uh, when we beat Arsenal 3-1 at the Emirates and he completely danced past Laurent Koscielny.
0: Yeah, okay. I think that says it all, really, when you're saying that he's dancing past Laurent Koscielny. When was the last time Koscielny wore an Arsenal shirt?
1: Well, they say said this was about two, two and a half, three years ago now.
0: That's my point.
1: <laughs> and it's going to sound really weird, but he had a game under Solskjaer against Huddersfield. Where he scored twice and set up two or something. Granted, Huddersfield are useless. I was about to say that's it, like thing. It, that, you know, it was that complete performance. And I don't see, I really like Paul Pogba. And it's I'm str- I'm really struggling to come up with with defenses for why he's so poor ninety-eight <laughs> percent of the time. Because this is this is a man who's won the World Cup. And, you know, I don't want this to be some sort of like, oh, well, cry for me because my team are bad. Because, you know, fair play for Arsenal. First win at Old Trafford in 14 years. Fantastic. That's another unwanted record that Solskjaer's got. In 100 games, he's oh. got... Christ knows how many unwanted records broken. And you said to me before, uh, before we started recording, because I was watching Potch on Monday Night Football, would you have him over Ollie? and I still don't know because there's clearly something that there's, there's clearly an ideology. There's clearly the way he wants to play, but the players don't do it enough.
0: Yeah. It's, I think if you gave Solskjaer the, the players that he wanted, maybe, but you know, he is in his second season now, second full season with United. And slowly he's running out of time because I remember when we said, you know, give him time when he first got the job and he, he had started his first full season with United. And, you know, we're all saying, you know, give him some time. Maybe he'll, maybe he can turn it around and if he gets the players in and stuff, but now it's, you know, it's the second season. And if we're being honest, if a manager cannot manage to communicate to his board or influence the board enough to get the players that he wants he also shouldn't be in that position because he's not being, he's not being allowed to, to actually do his job properly.
1: See, I'm going to have to somewhat disagree with that because that's, that's the thing. He is a first team coach. He isn't a manager. So he can say to our incompetent board, all he wants, I want this, 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 and this. So last summer, he wanted Bruno Fernandes. Didn't get him. We were crap for half a season. Got him in January. And look how amazing he's been. Some are just gone. He wanted Jack Grealish, Jaden Sancho, and if you believe half of the things, they are Upamakane. Struggled okay. with wide players. And we've struggled desperately at the back. And a dynamic centre-half would solve 90% of our problems.
0: Yeah, but this is what I'm saying. You know, if you... I think, in my opinion, you need to have a manager. You know, Jurgen Klopp is a manager, not just a first-team coach. And it's shown.
1: Yeah, and I'd, I'd love that, but that isn't, that isn't Solskjaer not shirking away from responsibility. That isn't him going, oh, no, I don't think I want to do that. That's people like Edward Ed Wood... And Joel Glazer not wanting to give up that sort of weird power and limelight thing they've got. I've said it to you. No, no, no. I agree with you. Ed Woodward is fantastic from a marketing standpoint. He's got no clue about football, but I think he's fame-hungry. I think he likes... Every time the transfer window comes around, I think he likes being on the back pages. He likes being oh well ed woodward can do this ed woodward can do that and when a player that he signs comes in clutch it's oh look what the messiah ed woodward has done
0: yeah but this is what I, this is what i mean is that you know the, liverpool also don't get don't get me wrong they have the American investors who don't really have a huge amount of knowledge about the way football really works at the top level. They throw money at Liverpool. That's what they do. Jurgen Klopp came in there and he properly took up that management mantle. And now I'm going to revert this, this similar type of thinking towards Manchester United, where, Solskjaer, I believe he is a first-team coach that can definitely get something out of players. And if he's given the right type of players, he can definitely do it. But he may be inexperienced in the sense that he doesn't know how to work with players. I mean, not players, sorry, how to work with management, specifically a board like the one at Manchester United, in a way where he can get what he wants so he can get the most out of the squad. It's not entirely his fault, but I think still the fact that he is inexperienced at the top level in coaching, that it's, you know, its first real coaching job at the top level might be playing into the fact that he's not getting the players he wants.
1: Okay, I've got another rebuttal for that. You talk about Liverpool and their American owners chucking money at, at Liverpool, they could afford to chuck money at Liverpool because they have Michael Edwards, who is their sporting director. That's what United don't have. So Liverpool have a sporting They have a sporting director. They have a football man in charge who works with Jurgen Klopp in terms of signings, contracts, players and all that sort of stuff. We have an ex-banker. In Edwardwood Ed and our chief transfer negotiator, Matt Judge, is also the man in charge of the debt the Glazers put on the club. So their first uh their first what's the word? Instinct. Their first instinct
0: is, is money.
1: Money. So Matt yeah. Judge will go, okay, well we can we've got this much debt, thanks owners. So, we can afford to pay this much for a player, or we can afford to do this in installments, we can afford to do this payment plan. And it's not an easy fix. But if you get someone like Edwin van der in, who is the name that's thrown around all the time just because he's a, a club legend, you put Edward Wood purely on marketing, you put Matt Judge. Don't worry about transfers. Just focus on sorting out the utter shitstorm that the Glazers have left for you. It's like trying to clean up vomit with one wet wipe. (laughs) You You get a football man in, you get a competent man in to work with Solskjaer. And I think it starts to move a bit smoother because people are like, oh no, get potching, get potching, get potching. What was Pochettino's biggest criticism of working with Daniel Levy?
0: Was that he didn't have someone who was going to give him the players and was a footballing type Pochettino
1: of... was a first-team coach. He wasn't a manager. Yeah. So Daniel Levy still had, you know, Oh, Poch, do you think you're going to get the players and you want? Oh, well, I don't know. You'd have to talk to Mr. Levy. How do you think he's going to get on with Ed Woodward? He's not.
0: Okay, I am convinced. Very well argued.
1: Thank you. It's a, it's a matter close to my heart, and uh, that also counts as my offering of what really grinds my gears. I was about
0: to say we 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 didn't uh, we kind of seamlessly went into our section of do you know what really grinds my gears, and um, without Originals. further ado. I was about to say, without further ado, I'll just launch into my contribution now after Billy got us rolling so beautifully with the latest bit of breaking news, which is that Bayern have officially rescinded their latest offer for a contract extension for David Alaba. Now, apart from rescinding their offer, the thing that gets me most about this whole thing is that Zali Hamidzic has produced a masterclass once again in negotiating. And that was completely, or is meant completely ironically because this guy rescinded the offer, had the, and the president of Bayern München, Herbert Heiner, went in front of the press and said, you know what? We did give him an ultimatum and said that we want to have clarity by the end of October about the contract situation. We didn't hear anything. Um, we had Sadi Hamidzic ask, their, ask David Alaba's management about what, the, what, the, what they thought about the latest offer. They said they were still not happy with it. And then after that, Bayern just took that to mean, OK, well, then we'll pull the offer. In theory, yeah, fine. But you didn't tell what we have gotten so far from the press is that they didn't tell them we're going to yank the offer if you don't give us something by the 31st of October. In no form or fashion was that communicated in any of the press reportings, which leads me to believe that they obviously didn't tell David Alaba or his management team that there was an ultimatum. And, you know, as a side note, Zali Hama just gave a massive interview about uh, the David Alaba situation about three weeks back where he said, verbatim, we will not be giving David Alaba an ultimatum in these contract negotiations. Well, you obviously freaking have because it's just pissed all over the negotiations as they've been going on. So the whole thing, and I mean, if I were David Alaba at this point, I would say, well, fine, I'm not going to play at Bayern anymore. I can negotiate freely with, uh, with other teams in eight weeks. I don't see the point. I mean, Bayern have colossally just shot themselves in the foot with this negotiation.
1: So if you were David Alaba, or sorry, as a Bayern fan, you'd have no issue with him striking?
0: I'd have an issue with him striking because as of now... He's still contractually obligated to play for this club until 2021. I mean, I'd still expect him to give his all for the team because he's not—he doesn't have a problem with any of the teammates or or the manager. He's got a problem with the management of the club because they're just not the—they're they're, the way they're negotiating is just crap.
1: Would you like a quote from David Alaba? Yes, please. To just stoke more of this fury and anger.
0: Oh, go for it. This is why we're, is why we're here.
1: <laughs> so speaking to Sky Germany, and this was four hours ago, after the second or third conversation about the new contract, I got a call and was asked if I could imagine being included in a swap deal. That probably was a slap in the face. That strikes me as a massive insult to probably one of the club's best servants
0: a swap deal. I mean, I'm the, this is new this is news to me because the last time because the, the last quote that I heard where he said it was a slap in the face was the fact that he had to find out about the fact that Bayern rescinded the transfer negotiations. And this is this is another point that I so far haven't made yet. The biggest thing that got me about the whole negotiation tactic here was the fact that David Alaba said today in front of a press, in front of a room filled with press officers and journalists that he had to find out about Bayern rescinding the contract offer over the news. He was sitting in front of Sky Sports probably and heard all of a sudden that Bayern rescinded the offer. How must you feel? And then he gets asked about it the day afterwards. Like, by the way, How do you feel about this? And he literally tells them. He tells the rest of the journalists. He said, "Guys, the way you found out about me, about or about Bayern rescinding the offer, uh, the same way I found out about it. I literally have no no more information than what you guys have. That is just that. That is so weak from Bayern management. And as you said, one of the club's longest-serving players. I mean, we brought him up." from the U16s through the youth, through the reserves up to the first team and to become a first team regular. He's been at the club for over 10 years and they're treating him like that. It's just, it's just so poor.
1: It's like, this isn't the first time that something like this has happened. I, I'm going to give you this is an example from Whole City. So they put a tweet out. <laughs> this is so horrible. They put a tweet out. Alex Bruce heads a list of players who will leave Hull City once their contracts expire at the end of June, and Alex Bruce has quoted tweeted that, but thanks for letting me know. All the best. So he found out he was being let go over Twitter. Like, how do you not tell someone? Oh yeah, by the way, you haven't got a job as of June.
0: And th- this is what I'm. Th- this is what gets me as well, is because you know Hulls. This shouldn't be happening at any professional football club or at, for that matter no in no capacity should anyone ever professionally be finding out about the fact that they're being let go by someone other than their boss or than the management of the company the club whatever there should be no like in no professional capacity should that ever happen for whole city to let that happen is already a massive oversight by their press team and you know an absolute shitstorm that they probably got for that. But as Bayern Munich, you are right now the top club in the world. You have the best team in the world and you have such a standing internationally for you to then go uh, to turn around and do that. It just, it's baffling. And so, I'm, I'm saying... So yeah, who's, go at, on, go on. who's at fault for this? I'm saying uh, management Specifically Hassan Zali Hamichic, our sporting director. Because someone obviously didn't tell some he's the one who's doing the negotiating. As a sporting director, he's the one who does our transfers, who sits in a room with, you know, whichever whichever club um, he wants to buy a player from. He's also the one who's in charge of extending contracts. This is his job, which means he obviously has done a absolutely crap job. Of extending this contract. I'm not saying David Alaba hasn't been a little bit unreasonable during these contract negotiations, because in my opinion, him saying he wants 20 million per year flat rate is a bit excessive, especially given the fact that, you know, you've got a pandemic raging around and he's now saying, I want to go up a couple notches in the food chain where the salary is concerned. I think that's a bit tone deaf. In my opinion, especially because Bayern also offered him 11 million flat, with five to six million in bonuses guaranteed per year, which you know rounds out to about 17 million. And 17 million, you are definitely in the top bracket of um, of salaries at Bayern.
1: I was going to say Bayern don't pay astronomical wages anyway, and. No. I'd say asking for that much in current climate, is probably a bit tone deaf. He's 28, so you can't say that he's not got a good few years left. It's not like, oh, well, we're only going to offer you this much because you haven't got long left. He could quite easily play another four years at Bayern.
0: I mean, this is also the thing. At the beginning, Bayern also didn't even offer him the five years that he wanted. Bayern's latest offer, the one that they just yanked, was... 11 million, as I said, guaranteed with five to six million in bonuses, annual salary, and a contract extension for another five years, which means he'd be at the club till he's 33. And in my opinion, David Alaba at 33 will still be a very good center back.
1: In my opinion, I don't think he'll get a better offer from another club. I think he'll be very lucky in this current climate to get a five-year deal from anywhere exactly and just
0: this is also baffling to me is you know he's he's obviously wanting to have or i think for him the main thing is that the money in and of itself probably isn't the issue but the but the salary class he's in is more of a, a standing um within the club that he wants to you know he wants to gain places in the hierarchy which is all well and good he's, because he's probably our best center back at the minute. But as I said, tone deaf with the current climate and also where else do you want to go? Any other club right now is a step down. Any other club.
1: Yeah. And the one I've seen thrown around is Real Madrid. And that Real Madrid team we said in the last episode is an absolute mess. Yeah. Maybe somewhere like Liverpool, who are crying out for a centre-back, why not just go and buy him in January?
0: Yeah, but here's the thing. On the one hand, Liverpool do need a centre-back in January. On the other hand, are they really going to spunk the 60 million that Bayern will most likely want to have for David Alaba? When they can just get him for free half a year later.
1: You can try and negotiate with Alaba and get him on a free next season or you can try and make him push for a move which i think if this goes on in the current way it's going and relationships get even more sour i think his i mean his management are already looking at teams they must be
0: i i wouldn't be surprised i think it's just it is just such a shambles this whole contract extension has been a an absolute nightmare because Bayern managed to get, you know, Neuer and Müller down for, you know, the amount of time. And, you know, Neuer for the longest time was also looking a little bit on the dire side. And, you know, it was looking even worse than David Alaba's situation at a point in time. But Bayern still managed to, you know, sort out the whole goalkeeper situation because that was also one of the big things was, you know, last with last or this past January um, and the signing of Nube being confirmed, you know, it, it... release an absolute nightmare of planning where the goalkeeping position was concerned at Bayern because that would mean, you know, a fifth goalkeeper who is, you know, trying to vie for um, playing time. And that still, that whole situation still managed to resolve itself relatively well. You know, Noya getting the, a four-year contract extension um, and, you know, he, they sorted it out pretty well. But with David Alaba, I expected so much more especially because he is, he you know, Nayan Mullah already, you know, past 30. David, David Alaba is 28, which, you know, it means easily he can do another five years. Well, I don't know.
1: We'll have to see. Well, that's that concludes
0: all, my rant. Yes.
1: <laughs> that's all the time we have for this episode. Oh,
0: it's been another hefty one. Don't forget to... Subscribe, follow us on all our social media channels as well as Spotify and our RSS feed. But we shall talk to you guys in a few days' time. We are sorry for the late release on this episode, but right now with the current climate, we do both still have work commitments and that was just a one-off thing. We promise it won't happen again. But that's all from us this week. Thanks for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.